Hi, my name is Avery. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalms 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Cora. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 15, verse 5 through 9. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other, similar to Christ Jesus' attitude. That way you can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you for God's glory. I'm saying that Christ became a servant of those who are circumcised for the sake of God's truth in order to confirm the promises given to the ancestors and so that the Gentiles could glorify God for his mercy. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Maddie. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 17, verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Lord, as we come to your word at this point, as we worship you for who you are, as we pray for you, as we seek your face, as we fellowship with one another in this body, we come to your word and we ask, would you open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, that we would receive you, who you are, God, in this time, and that we would reflect you well. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome, everyone. How is uh, the Thanksgiving week? Yeah, that's how some of us feel, right? I'm sure. Um, I, I pray it's been great, and we're going to talk about a little bit about that. My name is Evan, and I'm one of the pastors here with Downtown, and I have the joy of opening the scriptures as today we reach an epic milestone because it is the last day in our series of Romans that started in, in August. So for all of you who have been through this the whole time, I feel like we've journeyed with Paul for 16 weeks now, which has been great. And we were ending, and Paul's ending to Romans is somewhat similar to his beginning, and he is commending the church in Rome to the way that salvation works, in, by faith, in Christ, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile, and that this is the power of God. And he ends it somewhat similarly to the way that he began it. And so that's where we find ourselves today, and we're going to be looking at chapters 15 and 16 in Romans. So if you guys brought your Bibles, um, who brings their Bibles to church still? 
I'm not talking phones, all right? Okay, I see that hand. I see that hand. Perfect. Great. So if you brought your Bibles, just open up to 15 and 16, and we're going to camp there. Uh, and it'll be good for you to be able to visually see the spread because we're going to cover a lot of what's in both of those chapters. So, and, and the epistles in the, in the Bible are one of the forms. So there's narrative in the scriptures, which is story. A lot of the Old Testament is narrative. All the gospels and acts are narrative. So it, these are stories that are written. So we see them in that context. And then there is poetry that's in the scriptures. So all of the Psalms, uh, Proverbs, when we see the indentation in our notes um, in the margins in the scripture. That's when we know it's poetry. And, and this letter to the church in Rome is an epistle, uh, which means it's a letter. It's just a fancy word for letter. So if you really want to impress somebody, just say, oh, yes, I was writing an epistle the other day. A thank you epistle. <laughs> uh, you could do that. But it, it just really just means a letter. And so any letter, just like today, we have forms of how these letters are constructed. So for us, we would write, dear Sally. Uh, it's so great. Thank you so much. Lovingly whomever, right? That's that. We, we know that this is generally how you structure it, who you're writing to, what you're talking about, uh, and then you, your name at the end of it. Um, for, for back in the day, in Paul's day when he's writing, there was a similar structure to their epistles as well. And so it starts with the opening statement of who's writing and who the recipients are, and then there's a greeting, and then there's usually uh, some sort of thanksgiving and a blessing, like a prayer. So if you're ever looking for, where did Paul pray this? Look in the beginning of the letters, because that's usually where it's found. And then there's uh, the body of the letter, and it's broken into two parts. There's uh, exposition and then exhortation. So exposition would plainly be, this is kind of the meat of theology. This is what I'm instructing you about. This is the truth about Jesus or God or Christ or the Spirit or the church or whatever theological concept that the author is writing. Um, and, and sometimes it's for corrections sake. And sometimes it's for encouragement's sake, and sometimes it's just instruction. Um, but it's exposition. This is truth, and I'm, in, I'm instructing you in truth. And then at some point, it's going to pivot into exhortation. So because of this truth, now do these things live in this certain way. And Romans follows this uh, pretty standard, right? So opening stuff is all in chapter 1. Chapter 1 through chapter 11 is all the exposition. This is the p salvation, faith in Christ. It's the power of God, first for the Jews uh, and then for the Gentiles, the Greeks. And, and that's how it goes, chapter 1 through 11. And then we see the exhortation. Now live in this way, starting in chapter 12, going into 15. So uh, Pastor Glenn, a few weeks ago, he did three Sundays in chapter 12, which was beautiful. And then he nailed chapter 13 in talking about our role in our engagement with government. Uh, Pastor Jason last week did a fantastic job in chapter 14 talking about this. So how does this actually work? If, if this salvation is for both of us, if we've been united in faith in Christ as both Jew and Gentile, and that was what was going on to the church in Rome, that the Jews has been kicked out of Rome and then they were coming back. And so he was writing in that sort of context. So what do we do then with Jew and Gentile customs? And Jason did a great job talking about that and our convictions and what are we supposed to do with those and, 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 and how do we care for one another in the midst of having convictions. And so this week I get to land the plane and hopefully not crash land it and talking about, so how does Paul wrap this whole thing up? How does he conclude his letter and an instruction and an encouragement? Because honestly, if you look at the, the letter in, to Romans, uh, like for instance, the church uh, in Corinthians when he writes his letters, he usually opens up with some sort of WWF smackdown thing that happens because they're doing some pretty bad stuff or believing really 
poorly. And so he has to kind of throw down on them and correct them over and over again. But for the church in Rome, he actually ends up praising them at the end, saying, you guys are doing great. And I've written you some, you know, some bold and some harsh things, but overall, your faith is to be acclaimed. And we all have heard of it, and you're doing a wonderful job. And he comes to similar themes at the end. And so what he's getting to at the end of this letter to Romans is similar to where he started. Salvation is for the Jew and the Gentile. It's always been God's plan, and we're part of that. And the question that we want to ask today, as well as what Paul has been saying, of that you live in this way, I want to take it one step further to say it's not just the truth of what, what God is saying theologically and how to live, but it's also the character that goes along with that truth and what character should we embody. And we see a lot of that in 15 and 16. So uh, I'm going to start, so there's that. I'm going to start and I want to ask a question um, because it is the most wonderful time of the year and those who have been waiting to listen to Christmas music can finally start listening to it, right? Um, (laughs) We're coming to this point in the beginning of this letter or at the end of this letter in 15 and 16 and I want to look at the truth and the character that goes along with that truth. So in this Christmas season, so let's officially say Thanksgiving is over, it's not quite Advent, and we know that Christmas doesn't start until the 25th of December and it's 12 days long after that. But for the sake of societal norms, Christmas season is upon us, the holidays are here. What characteristics, what virtues would you say are the goals to which we are to aspire to when it comes to Christmas? Like, when you think, then this is actual, I want you to start yelling at me, and people in the back, I want you to yell loud enough because I don't hear very well. So, uh, when you think of Christmas, what is it supposed to be? What characteristics are like, this is, this is the model that we're striving for during this season? Giving. Giving. That's a good one. Joy. Joy. Peace. Peace. Love. Compassion. Say it again. Compassion. Compassion. He's in the third row. I still couldn't hear. Okay. Compassion. Anybody want to clarify that? (laughs) Kindness, love, joy, giving, compassion. Did I hear serving? We'll go with that one. Serving. Somebody said serving. I'm sure, right? So, So we know all of these things. We have this construct to say we are supposed to have this sort of feeling and it's a love and joy and peace and, and, and hospitality and caring for one another. And these are the ideals that we're striving for. These are the characteristics that are supposed to mark the truth of celebrating Christ's birth. All right. I want to compare that to uh, a new list that we're going to make right now. What are some of the antithesis values or antithesis themes that actually come out during this time of the season? So not like the things that we're supposed to aspire to, but what are things that actually happen? How do we, what are the characteristics that actually start going on? Tax deductions. Tax deductions? <laughs> I am so generous for that tax deduction at the end of the year. We'll be talking about that next week too. Okay, great. All right, tax deductions. <laughs> Generosity towards selfishness. I love it. Okay, what else? What else? Oh, seriously. Materialism, right? It's a season all about giving, and we just celebrated Black Friday, which is all about me and my stuff and getting more of it, right? It's just, oh, I love Jesus was born, and I want all that stuff. Okay, great. What, uh, what did I hear over here? Well, man, seriously. So- sorrow? Depression? Depression? No, seriously, 
You, so there's some laughter here, but this is so true because we're, we say, well, we're supposed to strive for this ideal of joy, and yet, what do we do when there's these other pieces and pain points in our life because there's not the family or there's not the friends or there's been loss or loss of identity or grief or any of those things? Like, that is so true. And, and, and acutely at the holiday season, that loss becomes magnified because of what it's supposed to be. I totally agree. That's really good. One or two more. Anticipation. Anticipation. Yes, that's the Advent theme. I love that one. And over here? Depressed? Depressed? Rest? Rest. <laughs> you didn't believe me. Um, I want to take a moment to thank my wife who lives with me and lives with that every single week. <laughs> Stress. That's okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll land on that one. Stress. This is exactly right. So we come into this season, it's supposed to be, oh, joy, it's Christmas, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves going, oh, I am so stressed, I don't know what to do, I'm anxious, and all of those things. And, and, and this is it. There, there is a discord and a disunity between what we know to be true about the season and what we actually, the characteristics that we actually feel in it. Now, those things aren't always in discord, but there's some intentionality that we need to give and pay attention to to make sure to see that we are aligning the characteristics of what we're feeling with the truth of what it is. And that is, I think, what Paul is really getting into at the, uh, the end of this book of, uh, of Romans. So I'm going to summarize Paul's thoughts in this way, that we are called to represent God's truth. This truth of the gospel, this truth of salvation, this truth of salvation is for everyone. It's for Jew and Greek. Um, he's been talking about it's for the strong mind and the weak mind, uh, for rich and for poor. It's for all of us. This is the truth of the gospel and that we are called to represent God's truth while reflecting God's character. All right. Represent his truth while reflecting his character. That first part, representing God's truth, we see that in chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. To show God's truthfulness. This is what he was doing. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercies. This is the what of our calling. It's the truth of the gospel. It's all-encompassed. And then the second part, we are called to reflect God's character. Chapter 15, verse 5 and 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. There's the highlighted part. In accord with Jesus Christ. The truth of our calling, the truth of the gospel, along with the character in accord with the way that Jesus did it, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So it's not just that we're coming with, this is the truth of it. The truth of the season is Christmas is supposed to be peaceful, and yet for some reason I'm super anxious. It's supposed to be joyful, and yet I'm facing depression. And there's a discord in those two things. But what we're coming with, and what Paul is saying, it's the truth of the gospel that is also in line with the character of Christ. Truthfulness and character. We're supposed to represent the truth and reflect his character. And this is the how of what we do it. The thing is, though, just even as we were talking, we can end up representing God's truth without reflecting his character. And I think sometimes when we do that, 
it's, it's really like a, like a big sucker punch, you know? Like we can come and, and lay the smackdown of truth on somebody, but there's no reflective character of God. And it's like, like have you ever been told the truth by a friend, um, but it didn't feel very good? And I'm not talking about like, oh, well, the truth hurts. Like, because sometimes we do need to be honest, but instead of a, a surgeon's knife who's being very careful and delicate to help mend a problem or a wound, it's really more like just throwing knives and you're just like, oh, what, what, thanks for telling me all of my faults. What's going on? Like, the truth and the character are, there's something of saying, you're not doing this with love. You're not coming at me um, with care and concern. And so we come to this um, in psychology, and, and this is a little bit of that Christmas example. There's, there's a concept called mirroring. And, and mirroring is, there's a definition and it's going to come up right now. Bam, bam, magic. Okay, the behavior in which one person subconsciously imitates the gestures, speech patterns, and attitudes of another person. So unconscious, and, and you've probably seen this. I'm going to give you a little example of like, 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 like little kids like who like are maybe like in high school and like start all like talking like the same and you're going what is going on what that word like has no meaning it's it's worse than um right now and 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 what it is is this idea of mirroring in their speech patterns you get a bunch of friends all together and they all start sounding the same and they all start having insider jokes and you're going like oh, you guys are really influencing each other according to your speech patterns um, I think another personal example is I don't know if you have friends who are Debbie Downers. Anybody, like, you, you walk away with them just feeling sadder, and, oh man, like, I really love you, but I'm, I'm saddened right now. And it's this idea of mirroring, that you are actually, even subconsciously, picking up on their negative emotion, and you're walking away, and you're feeling that, and, you're go and sometimes we're aware of it, but sometimes it's completely subconscious, and we're going like... Oh, okay. Or, or that anxious person. I don't know if you, if you have anxious friends, but something you're always stressed out by them, and you're just going, they're, they're, their life seems to always be anxious and in chaos. And every time you hang out with them, you feel that way. And so there's this, oh, like, I, what's going on? Well, it's this idea of mirroring. And that's on a, that's on a personal level. Um, on, on a social level, it's kind of what we talked about with this idea of Christmas, where... For Christmas, we say on a social level, it's supposed to have all of these characteristics and values associated with it. It's joy, it's peace, it's love, it's all of those things. But then when it actually comes, if we were honest with our emotions, we would say, well, it's actually anxiousness or stress or materialism and greed. You know? And it's just this, there's, some, there's something that's discord between the characteristic and the truth of it and then how we're actually feeling in it. And I think a lot of these things are because in culture, we don't spend enough time in fellowship with God and with fellowship with godly people to be able to, to, to kind of soak that on. So if, if Paul is saying in, this, in the end of this letter, welcome other people, that's the truth. God is a God of hospitality as Christ has done with you. It is very hard for me to maintain that truth and have a characteristic of I actually feel welcoming towards you unless I'm keeping fellowship with Jesus and feeling his welcoming of me. But the, 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 the theory of mirroring would say the more that I'm in that presence of feeling, of feeling hospitality, feeling welcomed, the more I will naturally mirror that to people around me because it will reflect off of me. It will mirror from Jesus to me to the people around me. And I think at the end of this letter, 
This is exactly what we see, and these are accolades that Paul ends up praising the church in Rome for. So not only is it the truth, but it's also the character, reflecting the character that we're looking for. So this is just a short list, and I was looking through what are the characteristics that we see of God or of God for us in a span of like seven verses in uh, in the middle of uh, chapter 15. God of endurance, God of hope, God who has welcomed us, Christ the servant, the God of truth, the God who gives us joy and peace and hope. And all that's between chapter 15, verse 5, and verse 14. And so Paul is coming to the end of this letter and he's summarizing this idea of you all have the truth and the knowledge of this salvation, that it is faith in Christ, it is for the Jew and then for the Gentile, and we are all included in unity. And now I want you to take the truthfulness of that and I want you to live it out reflecting the character of God in representing that truthfulness. So I don't want you just to know that we're all included in the salvation. I want you to walk in it with a mutual love and hospitality for one another. I want that to emote through. I want you to do it in servant-heartedness. I want you to have hope, not because it's a season where we're supposed to be hopeful, but because you're keeping step and rhythm and fellowship with the Spirit of God who gives us hope, that then we would have shared hope together. Where's the proof of this? The rest of the letter, so... I already kind of contextualized what an epistle looks like. It starts with the opening, and then it's the exposition, and then exhortation. Letters end with usually a travel log, a greetings, and then final blessings or prayers. So what I mean by travel log is literally the people writing the letter saying, this is what I'm doing. And so for Paul, at the end of 15, he writes a lengthy, it's half the chapter, is I am traveling, I'm hoping to go to Spain, I'm going to stop by you in Rome on the way there, but I got to take the offering um, to Jerusalem first. Okay, so if the truthfulness of God is that Jew and Greek, we're all included in the salvation, I want you to see how the character is reflected in the way that Paul's travel law comes off. Chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. The Greeks, the Gentiles, have been pleased to give their material finances for the poor, the Jews that are in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. And so their faith becomes action. The truth becomes characterized by their generosity and saying, I don't only believe that it's Jew and Gentile that are included in this. I'm going to show it by the way that the character of Jesus and generosity is displayed by us giving material gifts, finances, and Paul goes around and collects those from these Gentile churches to take them back to the poor. And so we see this idea that we are called to represent God's truth and reflect God's character and that this church is doing it. Another example, I think, if we look later in chapter 16, it's this long list of people that he 
Paul is writing to, and he's telling them, basically just praising them. He hasn't met most of them yet. Um, Some of them he may have on different journeys, but he's never been to Rome. And he's praising them for their faithfulness or for their servanthood. They've been faithful servants, my fellow kinsmen, my fellow co-laborer in this gospel. And he starts praising them. And we see two things here. The truth of God, Jew and free, or Jew and Greek, slave and free, all being included in this, and then the character of it, their servantness, okay? And look at this list. I love it. In 16 verses 1 through 15. Included in this list are nine women, which in a patriarchal male-run society is a huge deal that Paul would take the time to elevate and praise nine women for their service, faithfulness to Christ. There are Jews and Gentiles included. There are slaves and free. In 14, the, the names uh, listed in 14 are in Roman times, five commonly held names given to uh, freedmen. So people who were slaves but are now made free. Um, you have in verse 9, Urbanus is a common slave name in the imperial household, and Stachys is the name of an important officer in the imperial household, according to Roman history. So he's writing to both the servant, the slave in the imperial household, and the one who runs it, and saying, your, the truth of this calling in Christ is characterized by your servantness, and you're living this out. Uh, and, and a personal favorite, uh, Verse 7, greet Andrakonicus and Junius, my kinsmen, fellow Jews, and fellow prisoners. So kinsmen, uh, it, would, it would literally translate, it would mean they were Jews along with Paul, and they are in Rome. They are outstanding amongst the apostles. The common truth is that they've been included in the salvation as Jews. What is fascinating in this is their character, he's saying they're outstanding in the way that they're serving and functioning in their gifts. Their character is, is beautiful. And he's listing them as, so if, if we're going Greek and Jew, slave and free, rich and poor in this whole list, right here we see male and female. Because both male and female, Junius, a female name, is being listed as an apostle. And in fact, the two of them, which most commentators think are a married couple, are great amongst the apostles. And he's saying their calling in Christ, the truth of it is that we have all been called slave and free, Jew and Greek, male and female. We're all called. And then we're called in that to live out, to, rep- to, to represent the truth, but to reflect the character of Christ. And that is possible no matter, no matter, no matter where you are in life. Because some of us wrestle with this idea of calling. Where am I called to? How am I calling? My calling is greater than what it is right now. I want to say and argue that your calling is to represent the truth of Christ by reflecting the character of Christ. Your calling is to carry the truth of this gospel, everybody included by faith in this this salvation, with the character of servantness that Paul makes accolades of in 16 with the character of generosity that Paul talks about at the end of 15 when he's taking all the collections from the Greeks to the Jews, with the character of hope, with the character of joy that he talks about that the Spirit gives us in the middle of chapter 15, and that wherever we are, we can do that. And so when we have these things, we're talking about Christmas again, where it's supposed to be, my ideal is supposed to be, I have this great and fantastic calling. Your calling is to carry and represent the truth of the gospel. And how do I do that? I do that with the character of Christ, which means that no matter where we're at, we can do that. And how do we do that? 
that takes practice. It takes practice of, I want to cultivate a characteristic of joy in my life. All right, so what are you practically doing that would engage you? If we're talking mirroring, that by being in the presence of Jesus, I will then take on his characteristics. So what are you doing to experience the character of joy in the Lord? Are we being intentional about going on walks and delighting in the beauty of creation, of playing games with friends and laughing together, of, of spending time just in the presence of the Lord and the Spirit and saying, Lord, there, the fullness of joy is in your presence. I want to know that. Would you cultivate that in me? And it takes time. Any of these characteristics, I think we see when we come this, this week and every week, this is how we practice it in this church, is by coming to the table. And we see Christ, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, this person, Christ Jesus, and saying, this is the great salvation, that you have welcomed us all to fellowship with the Father. And then that truth gets translated into, how do we do this? Freely, joyfully, we have this moment uh, of the passing of the peace. There's peace in this. The peace of the Lord be with you and with you, because he has torn down the dividing wall, and he's made peace between us and God. And we practice these characteristics to say we are all in fellowship with love and mutual affection for one another. We go and we return to our seats and we pray for one another. And this idea of saying, Lord, as Paul has called us, this entirety of the book of Romans is wrapped up that the gospel is for the Jew and the Greek. And then we carry that with the characteristics of Christ and hope and love and joy, generosity and servanthood. We see that at the table, and the more that we practice this, the more that it gets in us. So the more that we go out there, we will be more affected by who Christ is than by what culture is. And that is what we're called to. To not just say, oh, I know the truth, but I'm really anxious, and I'm really, all these other things, but to say, I know the truth, and I'm, I'm fellowshipping with other believers. I'm fellowshipping with, the, with God, with the Spirit, and it's affecting me so that what I mirror to the world around me is the truth with the character of who God is.